Frank, can we all settle down so we can start? Make your way back to your seats. Good morning. As Jaret and Shumiso awesomely did, welcome. We want to welcome you all this morning and just pray that we'll have a great time this morning looking into God's Word. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we're in the midst of a long series on the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13. This is uh, part 40, if if I'm correct. And it's an amazing story. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through God's people and the lessons it has for the acts that he's doing through us right here in this age right now. And last week, well two weeks ago actually, we learned about the lengths that Paul and Barnabas went to to get to this place, Presidium Antioch, and spread the gospel because of how vital it was for them to spread this message about Jesus being Lord and, and that Jesus should be Lord and not the sin and selfishness that so entice us and how we can't really do that ourselves. And Paul did this through an amazingly constructed sermon. It was almost the perfect sermon if there could be such a thing. Kind of addressed everyone and, and everything that needed to be addressed. And we'll carry on from there this morning just to see some of the response to that sermon. Because a great sermon in itself is an awesome thing, but if there's no response, it's kind of just a nice little speech, isn't it? Before we carry on, let's pray. Father God, we come before you just because... We realize how much we need you. We need your plan. We need you, King Jesus, to guide us. We need you, Holy Spirit, to fill us and lead us and and point us to King Jesus. I pray this morning as we are here that we'll truly have hearts that are receptive to, to being challenged, to being encouraged, to being changed, and having our mindsets and our, our worldviews transformed by you, King Jesus. I pray that as I speak, it will be you, Holy Spirit, that speaks, that all the glory, the honor, and the praise belongs to you. And then we will be changed, moved and transformed and and be just excited by how we can be on this journey with you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll read Acts 13 and we'll go through this. We'll read from verses 41 to 52 this morning. So this is after Paul's amazing sermon. The title of the message this morning is The Gospel Divides. That might sound a bit controversial, but let's see where we, where we go with this. Verses 41, we'll start 41 and we'll read through verse 45. Your version might be slightly different. You can blame Jorette. This is a Tree of Life version that I'm reading from. <laughs> it says, Look, you scoffers, be amazed and vanish away. For I am doing a work in your days, a work you will never believe, even if someone tells it to you in detail. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging them to speak these things to them the next Sabbath. When the synagogue meeting broke up, many of the Jewish people and God-fearing inquirers followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and trying to persuade them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the entire city came together to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jewish leaders saw the crowds, They were filled with jealousy and tried to contradict what Paul was saying by reviling him. So after this amazing sermon, all of them who were there begged him to come back. Please come back and tell us more about this amazing King Jesus that you told us about. And they were keen and they were eager to learn more about this. So he does that the next Sabbath. He comes and he tells them the word of the Lord. 
Now put your Jewish lenses on for a moment. Put yourselves in the shoes of the Jews in that audience. Okay? Now the Jews zealously protected God's holiness. Okay? They believed that it was their duty to protect God against the nations. Now when the nations are referred to, that's often the Gentiles, those who are not Jews. So what they believed to be the path to God and the path to the Messiah needed to be protected at all costs. So here's this guy Paul and Barnabas and they're preaching something different. They're preaching direct access to the Messiah. That went against everything that the Jews believed at the time. For them, the path was clear and it was not up for negotiation. You had to go through Judaism. So if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, you became Jewish first and then you could have access to God and to the Messiah. This was not negotiable. That was just how it was and nothing you could say was going to change their minds. In their worldview, that was the only path and they believed they were doing the right thing in protecting that. This was holy ground. This was like not something you messed with and they needed to protect that. And Paul's contradicting that. So immediately there's this antagonism. They saw Paul as preaching almost a heresy, I would imagine. They would think, Paul is not preaching the truth. We need to protect this. The problem there is their minds were so filled with their view that they couldn't even consider anything else. They couldn't consider something new, something different, something better, and maybe even something more true than what they knew. Even though Jesus himself taught that, they couldn't conceive of it. Their view had become entrenched. Let's carry on. Verse 46 says, Both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first, to you the Jews first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unfit for eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now that's pretty intense if you look at this. Okay, so we came to you with this great news first. You had the first opportunity to hear this, but you have rejected it. You have declared yourself to be unfit for eternal life. It's basically saying by rejecting the word, by rejecting King Jesus, they were judging themselves as unfit for eternal life. And they would not be available when the age to come came. Let's carry on. Setting scene here. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light to the nations so that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now, who are they talking about this? Who's this you that's been spoken of here? You as the light of the nations. That is Israel. That is the Jewish people. God's saying, I have placed you as a light to the nations so that you may bring salvation to everyone. Here the Jews were kind of protecting this closed community that they had. Not understanding this. And we've seen a couple of sermons ago what a big deal it is to open the door to the Gentiles. But here Paul reminds them the purpose, God's purpose for the Jewish nation, for Israel, was always to take the message to all nations. Now as all nations, you can also read the Gentiles, non-Jews. Everyone was to have access. 
In fact, in Genesis 12, Abraham is told that he will become a blessing to all nations. Not just to Israel, all nations. And as the world embraced sin through the ages and through the Old Testament and all the way up to today, Israel's purpose was never to be this enclave of righteousness. It was never to be this closed, isolated community of righteousness and of communion with God and everybody else left on the outside. It was to be an example of what a great relationship with God could and should look like. That was part of Israel's purpose. To show what obedience to God resulted in. And God protected Israel throughout history for this one purpose, for bringing all nations back in right standing with Him. That was Israel's purpose from the start. Right standing with God through the Lordship of Jesus. And we and they see this happening right here. He's busy expanding the group that has access to this amazing grace and mercy and love and relationship. Surely this should cause excitement. Our purpose is finally coming to fruition. The thing that we've been waiting centuries for is happening here in front of us. And yet instead of causing excitement, it causes jealousy. It causes this zeal to rise up. Some translations don't use the word jealousy, they use zeal. It kind of entrenched their position and says, man, we need to defend against this nonsense. We need to stand up and stop this from happening. But they believed that what they were doing was right. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were thrilled and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as been inscribed for eternal life believed. What a weird contradiction. Seems a bit messed up, isn't it? The people who had been looking forward to this through all eternity were jealous and, and fought against it. And the people who heard it for the first time were like, wow, this is amazing. Thank you. We want to be part of this. How awesome is that? Now, this word inscribed for eternal life could also be translated appointed for eternal life, chosen for eternal life. And the Jews had always been the chosen people. The nation of Israel was the chosen of God. Now this group is being open to others. Other people have access to this kind of thing that was our high ground for centuries. We had exclusive rights to this and now it's free for all. That can't be right. Verse 49. Now the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. I just want to clarify here, when you, when you hear this term God-fearing, and it's important God-fearing, it speaks of God-fearing women here. And this is distinct from God-fearing Jews. Okay, God-fearing women, in this sense, they were Greek women who spent time in the temple, in the synagogues, with the Jews, deepening their knowledge of the Bible. They weren't Jewish converts yet, but they spent their, they knew the Bible and they spent a lot of time and they kind of became friends with the Jews in the synagogue. But the other thing is, because they were Greeks, they were politically connected. Many of them were wives of the city leaders. So there were political connections, there was, they were powerful people, they were influential people. And the Jewish leaders used that 
to do something about these Christians who are spreading this message that is a threat to us. Paul and Barnabas in particular, as we carry on it says, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and they went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So you'd think again that this great news would be exciting. It's the good news. It's the fulfillment. The Messiah is here. Things are changing. And that everyone would welcome them. But Jesus himself warns us that we will be opposed when we stand with him. That is a promise. So we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. The title of my message, as I said, was The Gospel Divides. And here's the thing about the gospel. And this is not a popular teaching and it's not what you'll hear from many, even churches out there. Is that the gospel, if we're taking it somewhere and we're taking it to people honestly and truly, never leaves things intact. Things can never be the same where the gospel has been preached. It will never leave one way or another, something is different. That is a fact about the gospel. And sometimes, the good news isn't good news. The message being brought, and that we're bringing today, is about this, that they were brought, was about this amazing man, Jesus, who dwelt among us, sent by this loving God, who saw everything we'd been going through, most of it self-inflicted, if we're honest, throughout, throughout history. And he came to take all our sin on him, self. And to save us for eternity. Imagine someone coming there and telling you this. Isn't that the most amazing news? Isn't that great news? It would be great news if he didn't also have to bring change with him. <laughs> Couldn't he bring the good news and just leave everything as it was? You see, that was part of what this, the Jews experienced there. Maybe part of them thought it was great news, but man, we had to change some things. That's not so nice. That's not so cool. And interestingly, who opposed them in this passage that we're seeing here? Those who knew the Bible the best. The experts in the scriptures were the ones who were opposing this message that Paul and Barnabas were bringing. What they were expecting and hoping for was coming to pass. But because it wasn't happening in the way they expected or wanted it to, they were resistant to it. So they had to change things. If they accepted this message, it meant having to change things. Something would have to change, including the things that they were good at. They were good at the ritualistic Judaism of the time. They knew all the rituals, they knew all the laws, they knew all the customs. They could do those things in their sleep. And yet all of those things were being cast aside in a sense. They were being replaced by something greater by King Jesus. And they had to enter the unknown. Isn't that one of the things that often makes us resistant to something? We've got to go into the unknown. Something we don't know what's going to happen next. Whereas this stuff here is very predictable. I could tell you what's going to happen next in my sleep over there. But these new things are coming. You know, a modern example in our lives could be 
when someone we know or someone close to us truly experiences Jesus for the first time and they come to you and they say, man, I truly understand for the first time. I know what it means to repent. I know what it means to, to follow. I know what discipleship really means. And maybe your family or your friends would say to you, but we've always gone to church. We've always prayed. We've always read the Bible. We've always done those things. Why do we need to change this? And resistance starts. And it's a modern thing. It's a very real example in our lives. Because now it's become uncomfortable. We have to consider things like repentance. Things like confession. Like commitment. Like lordship. Uncomfortable things. This was nice. Why did you have to tell me this other stuff? But now you know. It's a simple example of how throughout history people are resistant to things. Now, way back when, people believed and scientists believed that the earth was the center of our solar system. Now that sounds really ridiculous and funny, but there were these convoluted and highly complex mathematical equations and models that showed and proved that the earth was the center of our solar system. And in 1540, Nicholas Copernicus came up with an alternative theory, a far more elegant, far more scientifically sound theory that said, no, no, it all revolves around the sun. The earth is not the center of the, of the solar system. And yet that theory was opposed. Now you think to yourself, man, surely that would have been obvious. How dumb do you have to be to oppose this idea that the solar system doesn't revolve around the earth? But again, who opposed it? The scientists and the physicists who knew the earth as the center of the the solar system theories and equations and everything that backed that up the best. This was what they were experts in. And we're comfortable with this and we know it and we can explain it and we understand the math behind it and we understand the physics behind it. So it's got to be that way. Because if something new comes, we've got to forget all of that and learn something completely new. And besides learning something completely new, we no longer will be the experts. We will no longer be the best at this. Someone else will have to teach us. We become students now. And we don't like that, do we? See, this newfangled theory was uncomfortable. We take effort to learn and understand. So on principle, we're just going to oppose it. Because we don't want all of that. And we see this exact scenario playing out here in Presidium Antioch. Now, clearly that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore, does it? We're far too evolved and intelligent and bright to have that happen these days. I want you to think about your own experience. You know, my life, I grew up in a very traditional Christian family. We went to church every Sunday. We sang the songs, we listened to the sermons, we said the Our Father, did all of those things, took the communion once a month. And then someone started studying the Bible with me, opened the Bible and showed me a side of Scripture that I'd never seen before. Opened my eyes, the eyes of my mind and my heart to things that were like, whoa. I've been reading my Bible for years. How come I've never seen that before? And it was a pretty uncomfortable experience in my family setup because suddenly I had 
different questions and the way things had been done through my whole life was no longer okay. It didn't seem right. It didn't seem like enough. It didn't seem like true biblical discipleship. And I caused tension with, with my parents. And suddenly, it didn't leave my family intact anymore. It was a hard time and there was opposition within my own blood family. Sometimes subtle opposition, sometimes more overt opposition. But because it was uncomfortable for them, it was something new, something different, something they didn't understand, and maybe even something that they could no longer lead me in, I would be coming to take some kind of leadership. So we see all of this. We see this great news, the good news, the best news we could ever preach, the best news anyone could ever have heard, the good news about King Jesus. But here's the bottom line about it. Firstly, it's okay when preaching the gospel makes people uncomfortable. It's okay when preaching the gospel doesn't leave things intact. See, in our modern age, in the world that we live in, it's all about not making people feel uncomfortable. Not rocking the boat, not being controversial, just keep the peace. I will mention something about keeping the peace later. But people should feel comfortable about Jesus. People should have this warm and fuzzy feeling. People should feel good and loved. And if you're making them feel uncomfortable, surely that's not right. Throughout Jesus' ministry and throughout the book of Acts, people were made to feel uncomfortable. People were made to be challenged. Sometimes it won't make people uncomfortable. Sometimes we encounter people who are desperately seeking King Jesus. And they're looking for him and you come and you, you show them and they wow, thank you, amen, and that's what I've been searching for. Thank you, Lord, for opening that door to me. And prayerfully we've all had that experience with people like that and that's awesome. But that won't always be the case. Sometimes people will be opposed because you're threatening their way of life. The way of life that they're comfortable with. But we've got to be bold enough and confident enough that our message is the truth and if that makes you uncomfortable... I'm sorry, but I've got to do it. I'm sorry for your discomfort, but it's a necessary discomfort. And I'm not ashamed of making you uncomfortable. I'm not going to be uncontroversial and compromise on the good news. I will tell you the truth. Is that our conviction? Because sometimes it will be uncomfortable, and that's perfectly fine. Think about the first time you heard the truth about Jesus. Was there a small part of you, or maybe even a larger part of you, that wanted to resist this new truth? Because part of you kind of knew what it implied for the rest of your life. And it implied for the way you were currently living your life. Because of what it meant we would have to change. In this passage, in resisting what Paul was teaching, those who opposed him, the Jews and their accomplishments, accomplices, beg your pardon, effectively brought judgment against themselves. They kind of strengthened the case against themselves because they were opposing the truth about King Jesus. Now maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, thank you Lord that I'm here, that I've been baptized and I'm part of your family. Amen. But my question to you is this. 
Are there some sermons where you sit here and you start squirming a little bit? And then you tune out a little bit because, man, that can't be right. I'm already a disciple. I've got this thing sorted. I don't need to change that. You know, that preacher must be misinterpreting that passage. That doesn't really apply to me. Or we sit there and we get indignant because clearly, based on the fact that this is what this dude is preaching about, someone I confided in betrayed my trust and told him what to preach about me. And they designed their whole sermon to address this issue in my life. You had that experience? In doing that, we bring the case against ourselves by not accepting what King Jesus wants us to learn right here and now. Through the Holy Spirit and through His servants sharing the Word, He wants us to learn and change some things. Now just an aside, the fact that we sometimes sit there and think that, how arrogant do I have to be to think that someone would design a whole sermon, share it with the whole church, just to preach at me. So I just want to tell you how ridiculous that is. And we've all sat there thinking that, haven't we? So please don't sit there thinking, Amen, thank you God, I'm already a disciple and part of your family, this doesn't apply to me. Because we can get comfortable and start making some compromises too. And reject certain parts of the gospel, parts of the good news, that challenge the way we've started living our lives. This applies to those of us who know Jesus and those of us who are still coming to know Him. And if you're sitting there in either camp, get to know Him better. If you haven't made Jesus Lord yet, my plea to you is don't oppose Him. Matthew 10 verses 14 to 15. I don't think I've put that up there, but you can just listen or follow in your Bibles. It says, Jesus speaks, says, And whoever will not receive you or listen to your words, as you leave that house or that town, shake the dust off your feet. Amen, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is serious business, church. Jesus tells his disciples here, don't waste your time on those who actively oppose the good news. Don't waste your time on them who refuse to listen. And he associates such people with such towns with Sodom and Gomorrah. A final judgment. There was no second chance for Sodom and Gomorrah. That was destroyed. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, One who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. One who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Now to shake the dust off your feet is basically to say, we're out of here, you've run out of chances, we're not coming back. We're done with you. No second chance. And the warning to us is the consequence of remaining stiff-necked. Despite many efforts and rebukes and pleased by our sisters and our brothers and the family. Please listen. Please change this. You've gone off the track a little bit. Look at your life. Look at your heart. 
And instead of getting into debates about our opinion or our interpretation of what's being said, we need to come to the point where we can just accept that change. Accept what's being challenged. Because getting into debates and starting to nitpick about the exegesis and the interpretation and the application of certain passages, it's, it, that part is easier than just making a change. Yeah. Just being humble and saying, you know what? Hey man, you're right. Help me to change this. Help me to see more of that. The gospel is controversial. It will divide. Look at what happened here. They were kicked out. Paul and Barnabas kicked out of the district, opposed by the very government, the rulers of that city, of that district. We don't want you here. Get away. Now, I don't know about you, but we generally don't like controversy as people, do we? We don't like being opposed. We don't like being made to feel uncomfortable and causing others to feel uncomfortable. And the world teaches us that those things are inherently bad. But when the news we're taking is the good news, the gospel, this amazing story about King Jesus, it's okay if people feel uncomfortable. It's okay if we're opposed. In fact, at times we will be The world tells you, just live and let live. Don't stir things up. Be a peacemaker. Now I will tell you, they're right in saying, be a peacemaker. But we're peacemakers, not comfort makers. We make peace between people and King Jesus. Not between people and their comfort. So be a peacemaker, but be the right kind of peacemaker. I'll say it again, the Gospel never leaves things intact. That's right. And if it does leave it intact where you've been, I apologize, but you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Or you're telling a watered-down version of the truth. Let's not do that. Because then we might as well be opposing the truth as well. Yeah. Look what happens towards the end there. In verses 51 and 52. <coughs> So they shook the dust off their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And verse 52 is amazing. It says, And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They'd just been kicked out of a place for preaching the gospel. Opposed by the government. Basically told, Your persona non grata here, don't ever come back. They shake the dust off their feet, move on, and they're joyful. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we can think, Man, that was such a failed mission. What a mess we've left. We got kicked out. They got opposed for doing what King Jesus wanted them to do. And they left feeling joyful. They left being filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that completely contradict this idea that we need to leave no one uncomfortable? We need to have no one opposing us? They left with a whole district opposing them. And they were joyful. As we wrap up, The gospel most definitely divides. It divides those who want to learn and accept the truth about King Jesus from those who actively oppose him. It divides us from what we're comfortable with and what we're good at and challenges us to a new and better way, following King Jesus and becoming more like him every day. The gospel, when opposed, even divides people from their hope if they continually reject it. A final judgment will come on you if you continually reject it. That's pretty scary, isn't it? 
But that's the warning to all of us. Whether we're wondering if we commit, can commit or should commit to making Jesus Lord and radically change our lives, leaving our comfort behind. Or whether we've already made Jesus Lord but have slipped into some comfortable compromises despite the rebukes and the challenges and the pleas and the prayers from our brothers and sisters in God's family. But I want to leave you with this. When we accept the truth, when we make Jesus Lord, when we humble ourselves to His teaching throughout the Bible, because remember the whole Bible is about Jesus, listening to and learning from the family that God has blessed us with through King Jesus, then the Gospel unites like no other force in history. If we accept it on those terms. It unites us with sisters and brothers who love us sacrificially and unconditionally. Who love us as Jesus loves us. And we become part of something truly amazing. Now it's up to you and me to honestly assess where we are on the scale. Have we slipped into these compromises and are now opposing it? Are we humbling ourselves and changing what's comfortable to be more like King Jesus all the time. So my challenge to myself and to all of us is this. Take time to prayerfully consider if we're opposing or joyfully accepting the gospel. Talk to someone about it this week. And make some commitments to change what we need to change. Change our approach to how we tell people about Jesus. With love, with kindness, with gentleness. Gentleness, absolutely but without the fear of making them feel uncomfortable. Apply that same approach to how we challenge one another in God's family when we see things that need to change. It's okay to make your brother or sister feel uncomfortable when you speak the truth in love because you care enough that their comfort is less important than them following King Jesus. Let's change those things now because if we continually oppose them, we can get to a point where it is too late. We don't want to see anybody getting to that point. So there's a choice before us this morning, church. Choose the vision or choose unity. Sure. There is no sitting on the fence on this one. Wow. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are just amazed by the lengths you went to to just Unite us with you and to reconcile us with the Father. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your example. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling amongst us when we're baptized and receive you, for your guidance, for, for not caring about our comfort, but caring about eternity, caring about our partnership with you on this mission to restore creation to the glory that the Father envisaged at the start. We honor you, King Jesus. We thank you for, for the truth that makes us uncomfortable, but the truth that also unites and saves us. I pray that as we look at our lives this morning and in the, in the days to come, we will honestly just know where we are and reaffirm that you are Lord of every part of our lives, that you are King of everything and everyone. And we will humble, humble ourselves before you and before our brothers and sisters and change our hearts and our minds to just be more like you. We are grateful for this family that we can be united with. I pray that we will always see that. That we will never slip into these bad habits, but always challenge and love and be united with one another so that we can glorify you, so that we can make you known, 
so that we can take your mission and your reconciliation to the ends of the earth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.